Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in a capital on lockdown, sunny yet empty. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Lawton, commercial director and owner of Chat Heroes, the United Kingdom's leading provider of 100% UK-based customer-oriented web live chat services. Paul, hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Now, normally we'd go directly into discussing leadership, but considering the uh, circumstances uh, surrounding us at the moment, how has the COVID-19 outbreak affected your business? Um, well, my business is five years old now. Needless to say, some of our clients are in sectors who are struggling. So we've uh, we've had to let them go. Uh, we've given them two weeks free service to try and help them. And if we've got capacity thereafter, we won't charge them. However, others are booming. They've got more business online than they can cope with. Membership organizations like the Chamber of Commerce, um, professional services, for example, solicitors with employment law inquiries, they're, they're examples. So at the moment, we're seeing quite a balance between some who are unfortunately struggling and others who are booming, and it all depends on which sector they're in. Now, prior to uh, this event actually occurring, were most of your um, uh, employees based at home or were you based in an office? Uh, We were all based in a contact centre, but on evenings, weekends and bank holidays, uh, we did allow them to work at home at some some times as part of a preparation for any emergencies. We could have never imagined that this one would be the emergency. And three weeks ago tomorrow, we moved the whole operation home in one hour and there was no interruption at all. That's quite impressive, being able to carry on as normal in in such a short amount of time. Well, Um, I've got a very experienced contact centre manager who used to be at the Oracle, the famous global giant, um, Amex military, everything's done between us, very organised. So really people who know us wouldn't be that impressed, but thank you for that sentiment. Now on to the subject of leadership. Uh, I always like to start the conversation off with a very simple question, which is, what does the word leader mean to you? Um, A field marshal, because I'm ex-army. Somebody that controls thousands of people with life-changing decisions. Uh, Might get it wrong, but has to be strong at all times and lead from the front. How would you describe your leadership style within your business? Um, I would say it's lead by example. I tend to motivate people so they want to follow me rather than push them to follow me. Um, An inspiration, especially philanthropical inspiration, is something that's drawing everybody to me right at this moment. Now, of course, a big part about leadership within the corporate sector and, of course, uh, across the, uh, the the different spectrums is that you're dealing with people. And as we both know, uh, people are not perfect. Uh, they certainly have their bad days and sometimes they're not up to, sna- uh, up to uh, snuff when it comes to, uh, uh, to work output. How do you handle conflict within your workplace? Uh, conflict, it tends to be dealt with by listening to all parties. Uh, yes, we need to do things properly uh, with regard to uh, workplace rules, uh, but we try to apply some common sense. And because we've led for, by example, and we've been more than fair with people, 
if we're forced into the conflict situation, we tend, we've had this twice in the last year, and the HR company who we deal with said we handled it better than most others because we gave everybody a fair chance and then we did what we had to do. Now let's talk about your leadership style and how it was developed. You mentioned that you had spent some time in service. Um, who Did you have any role models when you first started out uh, your working life who really shaped you um, as you are today? Uh, yes, and there's one on the wall next to me, um, and he's very applicable at the moment, and that's um, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I love the film Lincoln. I love the way he's got a sense of humor, but he's very serious when he needs to be. And he set out to achieve an objective um, and he never really saw it bare fruition. But that's my role model uh, on the journey that I've been on, which is forming the cornerstone of my second business, which I'd like to quickly touch on before we go, because it's a perfect example for this of course, uh, please, scenario. Please go ahead and touch on it. Well, um, we're about to start tomorrow fundraising. Um, I've got a not-for-profit business. I've spent four years planning it alongside Chat Heroes, and it's Chat Heroes for Charities. So it's Mm -hmm. not-for-profit, focused on it for 15 months. It launched nine days ago, and basically it was there for charities to get their corporate social responsibility sponsors to pay for the service, to get ethical business from it, lead generation, to make it self-funded. So if you look on the website, am I allowed to say the website? Of course. Uh, it's www.rubicon-csr.org. So it's rubicon-csr.org. Mm-hmm. And basically, tomorrow we begin the road to raise £2 million of crowdfunding in a philanthropical way to teach 1,200 charities in this country how to be self-funding digitally. We're giving them a hand up, not a handout, and we're going to teach them for two months and guide them how to work the system. And after that, they can sink or swim themselves and we'll help them as much as we can because we've even got a matching service to match the businesses who want to do corporate social responsibility, especially with the virus here to help the charities, most of whom are struggling terribly. But throwing money at them, it only means three or six months' time they'll come back for more money. If you can teach them, as I've learned over the years in business and the military and my sports career, if you teach somebody, in other words, you give them a fishing rod, not a fish. How did you come up with this uh, business plan? It's, it sounds like a marvelous opportunity. Uh, well, it's the first in the world never been done before. Uh, I've got it from the leadership inspiration. My heroes, my dad, who I lost two years ago, and also another big hero of mine. He was the Chamber of Commerce President of the UK, Deputy President of Europe. He's Vice President of Marie Curie now. He's an OBE, 77. He's never charged me a penny in 11 years of mentorship. And he told me four years ago, chat heroes will help the businesses why don't you give it to 10 charities, starting with Steve Cram, the Olympians charity in Newcastle, where we're based, and don't charge them. And two years ago, he said, why don't you commercialize it so all the charities of the world can digitally self-fund themselves? Mm-hmm. And then along comes the virus, and I feel a bit guilty saying it, but the virus has just sped everything up for the program that we launched nine days ago that we planned for four years, 
and we registered it as a not-for-profit on the 4th of October last last year when no one had an income, even in China, about the virus. So it feels as though it's right place, right time to do the right thing for the right people in the right way. There's a lot of rights in there, isn't there? Well, Paul, it sounds like a marvellous idea, and I do wish you the best of luck in it. Thank you very uh, much. Unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let no, you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Chat Heroes? Uh, well, if I can save a thousand charities in the UK and uh, do well from it, then being commercially honest, Chat Heroes will have a sister company that's world famous, and Chat Heroes will get the exposure for the um, good, good work that we do for businesses, especially those who are struggling to operate. Uh, they're not used to working online, and we are the customer service team online. So, frankly, we see a boom for Chat Heroes off the back of doing the right thing with Rubicon. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back onto the program at some point in the future. Paul, thank you. Thank you for your time. Take care. That was Paul Lawson, commercial director and owner of Chat Heroes. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past and she could reach out to people that others can't so i'm i'm giving her my backing i think keir starmer is very professional mm. very able and presents extremely well and I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of april uh, there has been a lot of criticism especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticized even the last labor uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people 
to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what shivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know, is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Section in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that 
honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's It's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom in very, very different ways were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities... They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you. They compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable and I suppose the ability to listen not just for its own sake mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts ideas ways forward from everyone around you I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield. So I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 <laughs> at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, 
what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, w I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If... But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, of All Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question, explain why. Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you. Whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better 
And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education... And employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse and you don't get everything right that's the other thing you've got to recognize which is why being part of a broader team being able to take criticism but not always accept it (laughs) because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and i think if we can share those traits those experiences those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the thirty-first of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with 
bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics. I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.